Okay, so welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for our speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Carol. There we go. Um, I just realized I needed to shut something off on my computer so you didn't hear ding um, every five seconds. So hi everyone, I am Carol. I am a compulsive urban under eater. Um, I've been around for 21 years and I have never spoken at Light a Candle, so I'm really, really excited. Thank you, Erin, um, and I think it was Leslie who, who contacted me and asked me to speak. Um, and wow, we have a lot of newcomers and people uh, restarting their abstinence, so welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, I, I feel like I was a hopeless uh, compulsive eater. Um, and I had gotten to a point where I was certain that that was going to be the rest of my life. Uh-oh, he's sharing photos. Um, I wasn't quite ready for that yet, but we can do that. Um, so yeah, we'll share photos real, real quickly. This top one, it shows you, um, you know, that I got quite heavy as a kid. And then the one on the left is when I was um, halfway through fat camp. That was the summer between seventh and eighth grade. Um, and what happened after that is that I became a yo-yo dieter. Um, so you'll see a, one example in adulthood um, where I was with a roommate, I'm on a diet, and then I lost 25 pounds and I'm showing it off again because I, um, I was not one of those um, people in our program. Some people are, feel very vulnerable when they've lost weight and they, and they don't feel safe. I loved it. I love being skinny. The skinnier, the better. Um, and I just felt like if I felt like passing out all the time, that was a victory. Um, so we have one more picture, two more pictures, actually. So the, the two pictures together, I was a camp counselor. Um, and you'll see the one on the left. I was a 200, 172 pounds, which is my highest weight as a, um, as a grown-up. And then a year later, I was back at camp having starved myself down to 122. Love that photo because the light coming through my legs actually makes me look makes my legs look skinnier. Um, like that is uh, a typical body image obsessor. Um, and then the, the last picture here is sort of me now. Uh, I'm older. I've been around 21 years. Um, and I, I like this picture because I was like, man, I look, I look thin in that picture. And my friends will say, but, but you are thin. Um, I've been approximately that size for about 18 years, which is a miracle. It's a miracle of this program. So we can, those are all the, the little photos. Um, so just to backtrack, um, I just wanna tell you a little bit about what it was like and what brought me into program. I, um, I believe I was com born compulsive. There is uh, anecdotal evidence in my family to support the idea that I um, really, love things intensely and stuck to them um, in a compulsive way if I really like something. Um, but I didn't start picking up weight until I was about uh, eight. And that is approximately the time that I sort of um, intuitively understood that something was wrong with mommy and daddy and that things were not cool there. Um, whether the two are related seems likely, but I started acting out um, with food. 
and you can see my my class photos where I got you know a little chubby and then the next year a little chubbier and then the next year kind of kind of getting getting fat and then and then fatter still and then um, you know I got to where I was obese in sixth and seventh grade I got to enjoy quote unquote enjoy all the wonderful things that go along with being a fat kid and a lot of us um, know all about that the the teasing and the loneliness and the afternoons by the TV eating and friends sort of betraying you and um, all the shame and most of you uh, are going to know that drill so I don't need to go into it too bad too too deeply um, my bullying got so bad in seventh grade um, I actually brought a knife to school and threatened this this gang of girl bullies um, never intending to hurt them I just I just needed them to leave me alone it was so intense and that's how that's how bad it got so between seventh and eighth grade my parents bless them sent me to fat camp and um, not only was that like a really fun camp um, and I'm, I'm realizing these days what a privilege it was to even get to go to camp as a kid um, I think a lot of us are sort of um, becoming, or I'm becoming more aware of my privilege and there's so many things in my life that I didn't even realize um, was privilege and what, one of those, you know, millions of quizzes I take, it's like, have you ever gone to summer camp? And I was like, well, yeah, I went to, summer, I went to overnight camp four times. We had to realize that not all kids got to do that. So I got to go to this super fun sports and fitness camp um, and I lost pretty much all of my excess weight. Um, and I was going to a new school the next year as I brought a knife to the old school. Um, and I was so uh, interested in being a different person that I actually changed my name in eighth grade. That's how desperately I wanted to divorce myself from that fat kid that got ridiculed. Um, and the one way my very typical OA story um, gets slightly less typical is that I, um, about six months in, around Christmas time in my eighth grade year, I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. So suddenly I had all this physical pain and this overwhelming, uh, you know, diagnosis of an incurable, highly painful, kind of embarrassing uh, illness. You know, grandmas get arthritis. I didn't understand it. Um, since I was born and went to school back in the days when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, there was no internet, there were no support groups. I couldn't just Google it and find all these YouTube stories about other kids who had the same diagnosis. Um, so I felt like soul crushingly alone yet again. And yet again, I was teased for being bodily different. Um, and I grew up a nice big chip on my shoulder and got really, really mad at the world. Um, I did not handle it with grace. Um, and I just, you know, from then on, I thought, well, if I'm going to have this debilitating disease, by God, I'm not going to be fat too. And I just embarked on a couple decades of yo-yo dieting. And you saw the photographic evidence of that. Um, and like I've heard so many people share, and it's where my story gets really typical again, um, I, the, the swings of the pendulum got worse and worse. My disease got progressively worse. Um, the amount of food I would eat when I was gaining weight got more and more extreme and the methods I would use to starve down got more and more extreme and the obsession um, over my body, my pant size, my weight, my, the exercise I'm doing just got really, really worse to the point where I was 
kind of a pretty toxic human being. I, I feel bad for people that ran into me on the street back then when I was in a restricting mode because good Lord, was I just fanatical and, and just let me, let me talk to you for 20 minutes about my weight and how great I'm doing. Really, really um, just not well. Uh, and I had that false sense of feeling so powerful. Um, but when I look back at it, I have to admit that I was really, really profoundly unhappy. And so what happened, I was, um, I had to deal with some, some medical stuff. I've had a lot of surgeries off and on, but I got a surgery under my belt and I was beginning to gain weight again. And I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to get back on track. Um, and I went to the diet club and bought up a hundred dollars worth of food and stocked up my pantry and freezer with the best intentions. And I'd wake up in the morning saying, this is the day I'm going to restart and buy six, seven o'clock, I'd be there on the couch with all my binge foods, like the guy in the big book, you know, banging his head on the, on the bar saying, how did this happen again? Um, and it just happened every night. It was just a string of nights like this. Um, and I, I am not like a clinically depressed person. I think my natural, um, attitude in life is more of a happy, joyous, and free person. It's another huge privilege of mine is that those first eight years of my childhood were really happy, joyous, and free, and safe, and filled with self-expression, and love, and comfort. Um, but I had completely lost my way on that. Um, and I'd gotten to the point where I, I, I don't think I'd ever really attempt suicide, because I think you, you have to be kind of brave to actually go through with it. But I was definitely having thoughts like, you know, if I were waiting across the street and a bus lost control and jumped the curb and took me out, that just seems like it would be such a relief because I'm so tired. I'm so tired. My, my life really was just about where I was going to get my binge and how I was going to start the diet tomorrow and the shame of not being willing to do that and the binge and, the, and lather, rinse, repeat. My, my entire life got that small, kitties are running around, um, that, that's, that that was the entirety of what I thought about. Um, and I became convinced at that point um, that this was going to be my life, that there was no hope for me, um, that there was no way to break out of this cycle. I just was at, at a bottom. I was at a bottom spiritually and emotionally, even though I was not at my top weight or at my most, you know, restricted weight. Um, and that was a really uncomfortable place for me. And, I, and I'm so grateful um, that somehow as sick as I was, I was able to recognize that this, this isn't okay. I'm not okay. And I had audited a, uh, an OA meeting a couple years before when I was in one of my crazy restrictive, I'm so powerful, I don't have to eat at all kind of phases. And uh, it was a gray sheet. I knew I could never eat that. They held hands and prayed afterwards. I was like, this is not for me. But fast forward the two years to this, to this spiritual, emotional bottom. Um, I had a really dear friend who's my roommate. She's actually the one in the pictures for the first four years I lived out here. She had um, gone back to AA since, since uh, moving out. We, she moved in with other people and we, we still remain friends, but she'd gone back to AA and I saw her transform. And it wasn't so much that she was a drop down drunk and now she was sober and perfect. It was that she was unable to manage her life. And she went to AA and now she was more able to manage her life. She was taking um, actions to 
um, clean things up and, and, and lit, be in her life more. And, and that really made an impression on me. So I thought, well, let me, let me try OA again. Um, I'd also, I'd been seeing a therapist that really wasn't working, but it was better than nothing. And we had had a session and she said something that just so freaked me out. And I just thought, God, she does not get me on any level. And I had a sort of night of soul searching. So between my friend and that triggering conversation, I called up the, um, the OA, the LA intergroup, got the long phone message with all the meetings. This was in 1999. So uh, I don't think we had a website at that point. Maybe if we did, I didn't know about it. And I just kind of crawled into my first meeting on my belly, um, like the next day. There was a meeting right near me. I live in West Hollywood. There's a million meetings. Um, and it was a funky little meeting. There were four people, including me, one of whom was stretched out on three chairs, sleeping. It was, uh, it was a meeting that was lovingly referred to as Keep It Dreadful. It was really called Keep It Simple. Um, and I don't know, you guys, I, I heard the message. I just heard the message. Um, we were reading, I remember, out of the OA 12 and 12, when we were reading the fourth step. And I sort of vaguely familiar with that from like movies, you know, heard about that. And then it got to a point where it said, think about any people, places, or institutions against whom you have a resentment. And that was really the light bulb for me. Because I had to admit that if I looked at my little day planner, again, this was the, the dark ages with no iPhones, um, you know, I could go through my address book and four out of five entries, whether they were people, places, or institutions, I had a resentment about them for some reason because they didn't do what I wanted, how I wanted, when I wanted, in the manner that I wanted. Um, and that really, that really opened my eyes. Um, I was like, yeah, I think, I think I'm home. You know, I felt, I felt like I was home from the beginning and, and not everybody um, has that feeling. For any newcomers, if, what I'm saying does not relate at all if this is not your story um, or you don't like me or, you know, whatever, you're having a bad day, uh, please go to several meetings before you make up your mind. Um, it happens differently for everybody, and that's one of the beauties of the program is that the way I work the program might not work for you, but the way, you know, Carl works his program might work or the way Erin works her program. Um, so just try to keep an open mind. But for me, I was so desperate. We have a little saying, you know, came for the vanity, stayed for the sanity. I honestly came for the sanity. I was so profoundly unhappy and that was so uncomfortable. And I was so certain that I was powerless over food. When I had audited that meeting two years prior, I was like, no, I just need to stick to it. I just need to have more, you know, I just need to be more disciplined. And you know, two years later, you know, fast forward, wah, wah, I was like, I, I'm powerless. I, I wake up every morning swearing that this is going to be the day and I can't do it. I, can't, I cannot do it. Um, I was defeated. So I had the gift of desperation. Um, and I, uh, I'm trying to like see what my time is. I um, asked a lot of questions, went to a whole lot of meetings because I had basically no life. Um, and now it's just so nice to be able to do all the Zoom meetings. I do have a disability, in case you haven't noticed that. Um, so, you know, some meeting rooms are hard and driving and parking and some chairs and blah, blah, blah. So now I'm in Zoom heaven. Um, not that I'm happy with what's going on. It's tragic and horrible. And my heart goes out to everyone who's lost people, which is a lot of people. Um, but this one element of the lockdown um, is actually uh, a benefit to me. And if you're new, man check them out. You can go to meetings all over the world right now.
Um, I asked a lot of questions, went to a lot of meetings. I got a sponsor pretty quickly. Um, I, we worked the steps out of the OA workbook and my poor dear sponsor, it would be like one little question and I would just start typing in like five single space type spaces pages later and she listened to everything. I had a lot to say. Um, and I, you know, I was struck abstinent right away. That's kind of triggering for some people because it doesn't happen for everybody. Um, I think maybe it was my gift of desperation. My food was more loosey-goosey in the beginning, and then it, it cleaned up about four or five months in when I started working with a food sponsor. But my abstinence has always been three meals and a snack, nothing in between. Um, there are some times in my life when um, I've added an additional foods, a fruit snack. Um, there, are, there are some occasions where if it's a holiday and it's going to be a sort of larger meal, I'll have a breakfast and then sort of a a early dinner, late lunch, larger meal, and then maybe a snack at the, you know, so it'll be like three, three meals, you know, two meals and a snack. Um, but I don't eat more than four times and I don't eat less than three um, because I was a restrictor and my pattern was starve all day, binge all night. And so I had to train myself to eat breakfast. Um, I, for years, took medication, you know, I have to take medication in the morning. I, for years, took it on an empty stomach, which it says in bright, bold letters on the, don't take on an empty stomach. Um, and I had, my stomach was just inflamed and all messed up. And my rheumatologist was like, well, you're not taking these on an empty stomach, are you? And I was like, no. Um, so I, you know, put my, my stomach at risk because I didn't want to start eating because once I started eating, I couldn't stop. Um, so I had to train myself to eat breakfast. And at first I ate the tiniest, teeniest little breakfast, um, just enough to coat the stomach. And then I, I just, I developed a desire to eat in a healthy, sane manner. And part of that was my training from my mom. My mom fed me healthy. Um, and so instead of having that teeniest, tiniest little thing, I had, you know, a more balanced breakfast. And a few years back, a nutritionist suggested that I, add some protein. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be cooking anything. And I found a way, I'm not going to mention food because I know some meetings don't like that and don't want to trigger anybody, but I found a really easy, tasty, healthy way to add protein to my breakfast. And so now I have a good size breakfast and I never ate lunch. But now the, my lunch is the biggest meal of the day. I eat all foods in moderation. I do weigh and measure a lot of foods um, because it's actually freeing for me. I don't have to debate one more carrot, one less carrot, one more carrot, one less carrot. I just weigh it. I have three ounces. That's it. I don't. It takes me out of the equation. Um, and as I mentioned, about four or five years, four or five months in, I started working with a food sponsor. And so what I do is I admit the exact nature of my food um, to him via email the next day. I send it. I click. It's a fifth step. My day yesterday, as a yo-yo dieter, calls a dieter. Yesterday always informed on today. I was good yesterday. If I could just hold on today, I can be even better. Or I was good yesterday. I can cheat a little today. And you guys all know that drill. So now I send it off to my my. I call him my accountability sponsor now. Send it off to him, and it's done. Yesterday is done. Um, when I got to the tenth step, which is. Uh, uh, not the fear, searching and fearless continue to take inventory. I asked a bunch of people, uh, how do you work the 10 step? How do you work the 10 step? And my food sponsor at the time gave me this AEIOU uh, format, which is like A, abstinence, what have I done for my abstinence? Um, e, what have I done for exercise? Have I moved my body? 
Um, I, what have I done for myself? Oh, what have I done for others? You, what have I uncovered? Or I use like, what am I uncomfortable about? He said, I do that and a 10 item gratitude list. I said, that sounds good. Will you take that in addition to my food? He said, bring it on. So for 20, I don't know, 19 years, I've been emailing this guy. I use a, a different format now. Um, he, I just, I do it all the time. I did it from a cruise in the Mediterranean. I did it from the hospital bed. When I had laryngitis, I had my friend call his voicemail and leave it. It, it is the magic um, that makes me able to stay semi-sane and abstinent in this program. And um, it's one other thing about him is that he is my age. He's straight. He's, he's really handsome and he's got a hip slick and cool job. So if you looked in the dictionary under exact per type of person, Carol would not like to be admitting, you know, what she ate that day too. Uh, it would be a picture of him. And I just thought, well, if I can tell him, I am, I have no secrets to be sick about because that is the most humbling, embarrassing thing in the world. And I do, I tell him the exact nature. Um, so I have six o'clock. I'm going to try to talk a little bit about my spiritual path. Um, it's really been a journey that's changed a lot. Um, I was brought up, uh, my parents are sort of fanatical atheists and I, uh, sort of consider myself sort of rebelling by being slightly agnostic. Um, I've always had a sense that there were was something, something, something more than just this plane, this, this actual plane. Um, but I, I was not raised in any particular um, religious practice. I had a lot of girlfriends in grade school and I'd stay overnight on, on a Friday night and go to church with my one girlfriend and stay over a Saturday night and go to temple with my other, or put those backwards, temple with my other girlfriend and come home and I want to learn Hebrew. This is fun. And my mom's like, okay. And like, Ooh, I want to get baptized. You get to be in a pool. You know, and my parents were very open. Um, our, our religion was art and, 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 uh, and intellect. Um, but I never, you know, so I grew up very untethered to any sort of, um, standard religion and also a little sort of closeted in my, in my beliefs that maybe there was something else out there because it was, it was, you know, laughed at in my family. Um, so when I got in a program, I was like, well, I guess, I guess I have to have some kind of higher power. And for anyone who's new, it, it's really open. Uh, your higher power, you, you go to 20 meetings, you're going to hear 20 different definitions of higher power. And some people are in a standardized religion and some people are atheist and still in program and the, and the higher power is just not them um, and everything in between. Um, I was sharing with, with some, some of the people that I called as a newcomer and said that really the only concept I had was um, Lucy holding the football for Charlie Brown. So I'm aging myself again, but um, Lucy would hold up the football for Charlie Brown and promise him he, she wasn't going to whip it away and he'd all be all, you know, have believe in her and think that that, that was going to, you know, she was going to be a, a woman of her word. And then he'd go barreling in there and she'd whip away the football and he'd end up on his, on his back and be like, ah, and it was like, again, he got fooled. So I'm a kid who lost, got horribly bullied, lost all my weight, and then got a debilitating, horribly painful disease and got bullied again. Um, so for me, that pattern happened again and again, where I believed that something was going to get better and I was just slapped down. And I shared with this nice woman, uh, Mary Pat A. from the Valley, 
that that's like the only kind of concept of God that I had. And she said, well, you need to fire him. And I didn't know I could do that. So I had another night of soul searching and was just trying to think, well, what, what would I what would I want in a higher power if I could really create my own? And you can in this program. And some people write an actual one ad. Um, and I just came up with a concept. I'm a whole long story that I, that I won't tell, but I came up with something that worked for me. And it was, um, it was a loving, uh, generous, there for no reason other than to support me, you know, uh, presence in my life. And for comical reasons, I used to call God Peggy. I had a lot of trouble with the word God. I don't anymore. It's shorthand. I don't care. Um, and that worked for me for a long, long time. Um, sorry. Uh, and then um, there was, you know, there's some conundrum. And I asked a question about this early on in my, in my program at Kitchen Sink. And I was really shut down. The, the speaker was really not nice to me as a, as a sponsor, as a, as, a, as a newcomer. I said, well, how do you reconcile, um, you know, the, the bad stuff? Like if you've gotten sick or you've lost somebody. And this woman, who's, who shall rename nameless, she just said, do you have a sponsor? It was really, really off-putting. Um, and that was not an answer to me. So I needed, for me, I needed to find a way um, to reconcile this, this disease that had just, just happened. It was just a biological mistake. It wasn't like a drunk driver or, you know, a evil corporation polluting my drinking water. It was just something in my body just ceased functioning the way it was designed to function. And for me, it, some, so there's some school of thought, well, God only has to do with the good stuff and he weeps with the bad stuff. And that didn't work for me. It works for a lot of people. It's fine if it works for you. This is all my opinions, not those of OA as a whole. For me, I needed, to, I needed some sort of reconciliation. So what I came up with was um, about balance. Balance is a lot of my recovery. It's balance in food. It's balance in action. It's, I, I tend to want to do something 150% or 0% and nothing in between. I learned a lot about balance in all aspects of my life. And I thought, well, if there's balance in the universe, there's a certain percentage of people that need to get sick because there, there has to be balance for the people that are not sick. And in a way, you know, my getting sick, I'm sparing some other, some other person, some other kid. And it's sort of, it's not like a martyrdom, but it's just like, I'll, I'll take this on. Um, I'll take this on. This is my part of being, being a member of the universe. Um, and like I said, I got to go to summer camp. A lot of kids that didn't get to go to summer camp. There were stories I heard in here of um, kids that didn't have enough uh, to eat and went to bed hungry, kids who've been physically abused, sexually assaulted. I didn't have any of that stuff in my background. Um, and they took on that burden and they spared somebody and they might've spared me. Um, and that still kind of works for me. It still kind of works for me that we all, we all have our stuff. And it does look like some other people have hardly anything and I have so much. You know, they probably have their stuff. And even if they don't, nobody said that life's fair. Uh, I believe... I believe in, I'm much more inclined to believe in hell, heaven than I am to believe in hell. Um, but I, I'm also a realist and, I, and life isn't necessarily fair. Um, and we just do the very, very best we can uh, with our little piece of it. And I was always so selfish. And now I, I just, I try to be a service as much as I can. I screw up all the time. I am abstinent for 21 years. I am not abs absent of defects for 21 years. I have good days and bad days. 
Um, and I wish that I were more perfect and I wish that I didn't have so many character defects and I wish that I, I wasn't abrupt and rude places and then I have to apologize. Um, but I am a work in progress. Uh, we strive for progress, not perfection. Um, my, my concept of God has, has morphed and changed over the years. Um, and right now it's more, uh, rather than sort of a personified, you know, this, this being of, of love and acceptance and there to comfort and, and hold me and have me, it's more of a universal force, just a universal connectedness of everybody. And there's a, um, a guy who shares in program, I sort of borrowed his, his HP that, um, this, this analogy of like swimming in a, in a rushing river. So I can either be flailing and, and fighting against the current and really getting exhausted and really not getting anywhere, or I can just be lying there and let the current take me where I'm not really doing any footwork, but okay, I guess I'm going in the right direction. Or I can be swimming and working with God, working with the universe, getting there. Yeah, yeah, let's get to that shore. Yeah, there's something to do over there. Um, again, I am not 100% perfect in that. Sometimes I flail, sometimes I float, and sometimes I swim. Um, and that, that sort of works for me now. I pray before meals. I don't know who I'm praying to. I don't know what I'm praying to. I don't know if it does anything. It's just something that I do. I heard somebody say from the podium, I pray before meals. I was like, Let me, I'm going to try that. And I, you know, being in program 21 years, you have your, your dark times and your times when you're bored and your times when you feel like it's not working. Um, and so I listened to new ideas. I heard a speaker uh, at Kitchen Sink who spoke really powerfully, and she said, yeah, you know, I recite the first three steps. I was like, all right, I'm going to do that. So now I, I say this ready prayer, and I recite the first three steps. And doggone it if it didn't somehow make a difference. How? I have no idea how doing that uh, has any effect. But somebody said she did it and, it, and it was helpful for her, so I took it on. Yeah, maybe I'll change that at some point. Um, I work the tools. I sponsor. I, I have sponsees. I mean, I have a sponsor. I have sponsees, two sponsors. Um, I do service. I write a 10-step, an exhaustive 10-step every day. Um, I read the little OA uh, uh, pamphlets. I should go to more meetings. I go to a lot of phone meetings where I'm doing other things, and I just have it on in the background. I'm, I'm hoping that I'm getting some recovery by osmosis. Um, my food is... Pretty dang, uh, pretty dang clean. Um, it just doesn't call for me. I work out of my home even before the current situation. And um, somebody asked me at a meeting, "How do you deal with the, the kitchen being so close? Like, how how do you keep from going in there?" Um, and I had to think about it, and it was like the kitchen just doesn't exist for me in between meals. It's just not a place for me to go. Um, and how am I blessed with that? I don't know. I don't know. Must be some sort of higher power uh, working in my life. Uh, and the boundaries of my abstinence, three meals a day and a snack, nothing in between. It, it's just if it's not an option, it's not a problem. And I don't have to fight. I have been um, relieved of that, um, that, that strong desire uh, to eat when I'm not supposed to. Um, I, I wish I could, I wish I could figure out how to bottle it and I could give it to everybody who's, who's struggled with relapse or struggled to get abstinence. Uh, if any of us figures out how to do that, uh, we'll probably get very rich. I have not figured it out yet. 
Um, so I see that it's like 6.09, and I think I've said what I should say, and I'm, and I'm going to open it up uh, to questions. Is that all right? All right, so are people going to click their raise the hand, or are they just going to come in? Thank you. So um, if people would like to ask a question, you can either click participants and then click raise hand, and I can call on you, or I'm going to um, make the chat open to everybody now. So okay. if you can't speak vocally and you would rather type your question, you can type it in the chat. Okay, I will try to, I do see someone, Tan, do you want me to let you call on people or you want, I'm happy. Yeah, I, I can handle that, yeah. So right. it looks like Jane WB. Okay. Go ahead, Jane. Hey, Carol, long time no see. This is Jane, um, so Hi, good to see Jane. you. Jane, yeah. Um, so yeah. when I saw you, I'm so happy to see you because um, a lot of times people change meetings for a lot of reasons and then we don't see um, other fellows. Um, I want to know because uh, we have around the same time and I used to see you uh, 20 years ago. Have you ever thought about leaving and what made you stay? Maybe you haven't thought about it, but have you ever? And if other people may have uh, told you they're thinking about leaving, what would you say to them? Thank you. Oh, that's a great question. Um, and this, my answer might, might irritate people. Um, I've never considered leaving. <laughs> I, I have been bored. I have been angry. I have been disgruntled. Um, I think that it goes back to that desperate, desperate, desperate place that I was when I first came in. Um, and I've just, I, I joke about, you know, typing my 10th step from the nursing home when I'm in my nineties and just hoping my accountability sponsor outlives me. Um, I just, I just feel like I, I'm, I've seen people leave and I'll talk about that a little bit too, but I've seen people leave. Um, and I know that my disease is waiting for me out there and gosh, I don't want to, Oh God, I don't want that life again. So I, I have not, I've not, um, I've not been tempted to leave. I've been ornery and like, I don't like this meeting anymore, but, but I've not left. Um, now I have had my, my dear, dear, dear bestie who was originally my sponsee and now he's like my best friend in the universe. He left for quite some time and he did, you know, put on a lot of his weight and he, um, and he also was really unhappy and his life got unmanageable and I just and I have another really good friend same story and I just had to love them both up I just loved up my friend I would check in with him I never pushed him uh, about you know have you thought of going out to program I waited for him to mention it I'm thinking maybe I should go to a meeting and inside it was like <laughs> and to him I was like oh well if you you know if you don't want to walk in alone I'm happy to happy to go with you just let me know and then I didn't bring it up again until he brought it up again. And I think, you know, it says our program is for people who want it. And, um, you know, it sounds a little judge, judgy, but it's also like you hear, the, you hear the message when you're ready to hear the message. And, um, and he eventually came back. And my other friend I'm thinking about, he eventually came back. And I love them so much. And the other one was like, oh, I'm back. I'm fat again. And I just gave him a big hug. And I said, I love you so much. I don't care. I love you. I love you thin or fat. Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's heartbreaking sometimes when people leave. Uh, but thank God, whatever or whoever God is, I am not tempted. I'm here. This is, you know, I'm a grumpy old timer now. 
Okay, another question. Sorry, if I take that long to answer questions, we can have two, right? <laughs> there, your next question comes from Lucy B in the chat. Um, Carol, how do you keep your program fresh? Yeah, um, I saw that. And I always ask that of long timers. And sometimes it's not fresh. I got to tell you, sometimes it's routine. Um, but it's kind of like, I'm so sick of brushing my teeth. How do you keep it fresh? You know, I could change toothpaste. I, you you got to brush your teeth, right? You, you, gotta, you can't like brush your teeth for 20 years and then be like, oh, I've brushed my teeth for 20 years, whatever, I'm going to take five years off. Like, you could do that, but, you know, daughter, daughter of the dentist over here. Um, you know, you can always switch up meetings. Uh, you can always, like, do a big book study. There, now I, I'm, I'm thinking we're going to continue to have Zoom meetings. I started a meeting. Uh, it lasted for, like, 10 years. It's, it's folded now. But there was a meeting early on in my, in my program where I really liked the format, and it, and it closed down pretty quickly. And I was like, I love that format. I'm going to start a meeting with that format. And when you start a meeting, you get to make all the decisions until the first group conscious meeting. Um, so that's a, that's a way. You can pick different people to talk to. Um, and, and I guess, you know, sometimes it's just not going to be fresh and come anyway. Great. Our next question comes from Jessica. Um, do you keep reworking the steps once you finish, um, you start over again, or are you just working 10, 11, 12 now? Um, I am somebody being as anal and loving checklists as I am. I like with, wanted to like keep reworking the steps. I've worked them formerly twice, and then I did a tradition study with, with one of my sponsors where we you know read a paragraph, write a paragraph, talk about it. it was like really in depth. Um, but I have had trouble. I've, I've switched around sponsors um, the last five to eight years. And it's tough when you have 21 years to find a sponsor who um, has, you know, your length or, or thereabouts of abstinence and has a slot because people tend to like find a sponsor they like and, and stay with them. Um, and I'm with a sponsor now who's great because I I just talk with, talk with her once a week and we do a check-in, but I also have the accountability sponsor, which is a different person. And she's a live in 10, 11, and 12 um, sponsor. Um, again, like if I really wanted to work the steps, I could take a big book study. They have them all over. They have them on the phone. They have them in, in, uh, online. They have them in person. Um, I do work steps with my sponsees, so I get a little bit of it that way. But um, that 10th step I do is like exhaustive. 11th step, I, I'm, I am a person who meditates 10 minutes a day. I never thought I'd be that, that. And I, and I, you know, I share the message when I can. So I am sort of living in 10, 11, and 12. I am, I'm not opposed to the idea of doing the steps again at some point if I have a sponsor who wants to go that route. Great. Um, the next question is from Lisa. You just kind of started to allude to it. She wanted to know, do you meditate? Um, yeah. Else that you wanted to elaborate on as far as how meditation works in your recovery? Well, I, you know, in case you haven't picked this up, I'm sort of a jibber jabbity, you know, I got a lot going on in my head. My head's a very busy place. Um, it's like downtown New York on New Year's Eve. Um, I had a meditation meeting once a week and it was 10 minutes. It was, oh, it's just so good. I need to do this during the week. And then I wouldn't do it all week. For a long time, I meditated for three minutes, and it was like, okay, I'm meditating. All right, be quiet. I'm meditating. Oh, God, thank God the timer's off. Um, I read in our, I think it's our literature, the only wrong way to meditate is to not do it at all. So I was like, well, that's the best I can do. And then I, I started, I, I was seeing a therapist outside help, and she suggested a really uh, sarcastic 
um, curse laden guided meditation. And I was like, yeah, this is for me. And I started doing that. And then we, she turned me on to a mindfulness meditation, which is 10 minutes. And I, I have the willingness, you know, willingness is like magic. It's like Disney fairy dust. I have the willingness. So I, I don't miss it. Most, you know, the rare occasion when I, when I don't get it in, but I, I find that guided meditation is a little easier. And sometimes my head is still really busy. Um, but I do the best that I can and I do it very, you know, pretty dang consistently. Great. Um, then the next question is from Andrea or Andrea, what is your most challenging tool in the OA toolbox and do you attempt to use it now and then? Um, you know, early on in program, I told you I would make all these outreach calls and ask people questions. Oh, I just hate talking on the phone. I don't, I don't make as many outreach calls as I should. And I tend to have my God squad and I talk to them and they're really friends as well. Um, I think it would be, I know people that I, I make at least two outreach calls a day to like newcomers or people I don't know. I think that would probably benefit me and it would be a way of doing the 12th step. Um, but gosh, ugh. oh, I don't, I don't, uh, uh, I don't like doing it and I don't do it enough. And um, I have a, a very small number of sponsees and I, I am, I always tell them I'm not a great sponsor. I'm, I'm very impatient. Um, so for a really sweet, loving, you know, desperate newcomer that really needs somebody to, to, to guide them gently, like you don't want to call me, I'll, 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 I'll disappoint you. Um, so I find sponsoring challenging unless it's a good match. And, and I'm, I'm like a, uh, a foreign film rather than a summer blockbuster. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. And that goes for sponsoring as well as just, you know, friendships. So, so those two, yeah. Great. Um, those are all the questions that I have in the chat. Um, does anyone else have any burning desires for the last minute that we have Carol? Uh, Otherwise, so Carol, feel free to use that time to wrap up. I see somebody said, what do you, what do you recommend uh, you feel when you feel that hopelessness I talked about? My life's not worth it. Wow. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't feel that way much. And, I, and somebody wants me to share my phone number, which I will. Um, I haven't, hadn't felt that way for a long time since, since getting into program and getting some recovery. Then about three years ago, um, things kind of really changed and I, I've really struggled a lot with a lot of feelings. Um, and I have gotten some outside help um, and that's been helpful. And, um, and there's some you know, exercises we've done where I, I list my core beliefs and what their opposites are. And then I, I have a, I'm a visually, you know, I like arts and crafts and I have a poster board in my bedroom that has the opposite of my core beliefs. I'm not enough. I'm selfish, you know, and I, and I list evidence from my life. I put it on stickers and stick it on the poster board. Um, evidence to support that the opposite of my core beliefs are true. Um, and it's been helpful, you know, and I also action and being of service. That is, if I'm really miserable, I find something to, some way to be of service. And it across the board, hundred percent of the time um, helps me. It helps lift my mood. So and I, I, at 6.20, I'm done, right? Yeah, so that, that's all the time we have for questions. Thank you. All right, I'm going to put my number in the chat. Uh, 
I will, I'm going to put my cell number and I really request that you text me first. And if you um, want to talk, you can say, hey, I'd love to talk. Will this, this or this time work? And we can make an arrangement. Um, because like I said, not great on the phone. Um, and I also, I am not human before noon. So with my landline, I don't like people calling me before noon. Uh, but with my cell, I put it on do not disturb when I'm asleep. So text anytime. And if you can't text and you want to leave me a voicemail and say, hey, I'm from OA and this is my number and I'd love to, I'd love to talk to you, I will try and do my very best to get back to you. That's it, right? Yeah, that's it. Thank you 